We've been in this series called Kingdom Multipliers, and we're talking about the power of radical generosity. We have a church full of people that are radically generous. And here's our series verse. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what he has decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I was at a church one time, and a guy was taking up an offering, and he says, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, but here at this church, we love any giver. That's not our stance at Church 1132. God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In other words, when you step into radical generosity, you step into a world where God blesses every single thing that you do. The Bible says, in all things, in all ways, at all times. So a generous heart will lead to a fruitful life. A generous heart will lead to a fruitful life. So generosity is a kingdom Multiplier. Now, when you hear the word generosity, a lot of people, their mind maybe goes to money, but, but it's not just limited to money. Where your mind goes when you hear generosity probably depends on your context and your upbringing. If you're like me and you grew up watching Christian television, you hear the word generosity and you picture a man in a very colorful suit on the other side of a screen telling you to sow a $1,000 seed in exchange for some water from the Red Sea or something like that. If you're new to church and you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Just be grateful that you missed it, okay? Maybe when you hear generosity, you think of a philanthropist or you think of someone giving to the homeless. Maybe you think of Dave Ramsey yelling at you to live and give like nobody else. Whatever you think about when it comes to the context of generosity, many people probably think of money. But generosity is not simply limited to money. Generosity also involves your time. Generosity also involves your giftings. Generosity also includes your passions and your talents. Now, we are going to talk a little bit about money today, but I want to I kind of like ease the room a little bit. We're not taking up an offering at the end of this service, okay? We're not going to be handing out giving envelopes to everyone that raises their hand and say, I want to live a life of generosity. Um, we don't teach this. We don't teach that you give to get. So we're not a prosperity gospel church. I'm not going to invite you to give this, uh, this afternoon or this evening or, or today so that you can get a Lambo uh, or that you can get a Rolex or have some amazing return. We teach that you give to give. And so we're talking about money a little bit today because God talks about money all the time. All over the scripture, God is talking about possessions and money and resources. I was talking to a guy uh, about a week ago who told me he left the church in Dallas. It wasn't our church, but he said, I left this church because they were talking about money. He said, I don't want to talk about money. I want to talk about what God's word says. And I thought, sir, I have horrible news for you. We learned this last week that the Bible talks about prayer and faith 500 times. The Bible talks about money and resources and possessions over 2,000 times. And so we talk about money because God is talking about money all the time. However, generosity is not just limited to your money. Generosity, here, here's a simple definition of generosity. A generous life is someone who lives with open hands and a willing heart. 
generosity is living with open hands and a willing heart. It's not about dollar signs. It's about surrender. It's saying, God, my resources are yours. My time is yours. My passions are yours. And not only that, but can I just say that the kingdom of God is a good investment? I don't know about you, but I want to invest in things that last. The year was 2019 and Tesla stock had hit a 52 week low and I said, this is my moment to get in. And I'm about to invest in this stock when I made the grave mistake of reading a blog about a penny stock called Express Spa. If that name sounds familiar, it's because you see those spas in the airport. I made the decision, rather than investing in the company that causes cars to drive by themselves, to invest in an airport spa. (laughs) My return on Tesla would have been incredible. You know what I made on Express Spa? Nothing, because I gave my resources to something that was fleeting and limited rather than something that would last. And I want you to know today, the kingdom of God is not going to crumble. It is not going to fade. The kingdom of God lasts forever. Did you know, I've heard people say it like this. People have said, you know, I don't know if the church is going to make it in this culture. Every generation has had a group of people that have tried to destroy the church. Every generation has had a group of people that have just tried to destroy the kingdom. And every generation has failed because the Bible says of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. His kingdom, his church is here to say, say, someone say amen. The kingdom is a good investment because the kingdom is going to last. So why do we talk about generosity? Not only because God talks about it, but because we serve a generous God. To create us was generous. To make man in his image was generous. To make this beautiful world was generous. My breath is his generosity. My heartbeat is his generosity. Everything around us is a symbol and a reflection of a generous God. My five-year-old asked me the other day, Dad, what would happen if God became a bad guy? I said, son, he wouldn't do that. But he's persistent. But what if? That's his new thing right now. But what if? And he's not satisfied until I give him an answer. And so I started thinking about this. What would happen if God stopped being good? What would happen if God stopped being Generous, and the truth is the world would stop spinning. Birds would stop flying, fish would stop swimming, and politicians would stop lying. That's a joke. (laughs) What would happen if God stopped being generous? Everything that is in order would fall into chaos. The stars would fall from the sky. The sun would stop shining. The waves would stop crashing. Everything, can I just tell you this? The Bible says he holds everything together. The Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. So everything natural that is sustained is a reflection of his generosity. To save us was generous. To fill us with his spirit was generous. To deliver me was generous. To heal my mind and my heart was generous. To pull me out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock was generous. To trade beauty for ashes and oil of joy for mourning, that's generous. Is anybody thankful for a God that is generous? But God is not generous so that you don't have to be. God is generous to show you how to be. And so today we're going to look at a story in the scripture of radical 
generosity. And here's what I'm believing is God's going to raise up a people. There's going to be a revival of the radically generous. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22, reading verse 1 through 18. Now, Genesis is the first book of the Bible written by Moses. Moses is known to have written the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. And today we're talking about a a person named Abraham. And Abraham and his wife Sarah had been believing for a child for years. God speaks to Abraham as a 75-year-old man and says, you're going to have kids. Come on, that just might be a word for someone today. He speaks to this 75-year-old man, it's never too late. And so they start believing for this promise, and they believe for it for 25 years. And after 25 years, Sarah, his wife, is 90, Abraham is 100, and they give birth to Isaac. And the Bible says a few years pass, and that's where we pick up our story today. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, the Bible says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. That escalated quickly. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, stay with the donkey while I go, uh, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the word and the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went together, Isaac spoke to him. He spoke to his father, Abraham. He said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb? I shouldn't laugh at this, but I laugh at this every time because Isaac knew something was up. He's like, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Abraham's like, it's, it's around here. It's around here somewhere. And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up there in a thicket. He saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself declares the Lord that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham shows us in this story what a life of radical generosity looks like. And today I want to pull three thoughts out of this story. What does a life of the radically generous look like? Here's number one. The radically generous have ears that hear. 
The process of Abraham's generosity started with him hearing the voice of God. If you struggle when pastors or preachers or church, churches talk about generosity, that's okay. Just ask God how he feels about it. Because I've learned this, that the closer I get to a generous God, the more I am prompted to be generous. God asked Abraham, will you give Isaac? Oftentimes for me, generosity is not a giving problem, it's a hearing problem. And if we could have ears to hear his voice, we would be able to step into this thing of generosity. Now, full disclosure, if you ask God to speak, he will. <laughs> And what did God ask Abraham to do? God asked Abraham to give Isaac. He says to him, I want you to give your son, your only son. Now, at the in other words, he's saying, I want you to give what you value the most. At the time, Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was not the son of promise. Ishmael was not the son of the woman he loved, Sarah. Ishmael was the son of a woman named Hagar. That's a whole other Bible story. We'll talk about it later. Isaac was the son of promise. Ishmael was not the son of promise. And I just wonder if it would have been easier for Abraham to give up Ishmael than it was to give up Isaac. And yet God comes to him and does not ask him for Ishmael. He says, I want you to give me what you value the most. And I think that there are a lot of believers who are willing to lay Ishmael on the altar while we hold on to Isaac. We are willing to lay down the idols we don't care about while we hold on to the things that we value the most. Like I'll show up for the service, but I'm not serving. I will tip, but I will not tithe. I, I will give a little bit of my worship, but I will not give my best. But true generosity is not in the laying down of Ishmael. True generosity is the laying down of Isaac, which is heavy until you realize that God did not want Abraham's son. God wanted Abraham's heart. I want you to know God does not need your money. God doesn't need your time. He doesn't need your gifting. He's not trying to steal all of your possessions. God is after your heart. God says to Abraham, he says, as long as Isaac is on the throne of your heart, you cannot live with true joy. As long as Isaac is what you value the most, you'll never live the life that I've intended you to live. And God is saying, if you see, when, Isaac, when Abraham lays Isaac on the altar, he is simultaneously handing his heart to God. And here's the good news, is God does not want you to be generous because he wants you to be miserable. <laughs> he wants you to be generous because when I lay down Isaac, I give him my heart. And when I give him my heart, my heart is made whole. The only place your heart is made whole and happy and healthy is in the context of his hands. So he says to Abraham, I want you to lay down, I want you to lay down Isaac. And before we move on, can I just say that the value of what you give is oftentimes an indication of, what you, of how much you value the thing you're giving to. Let me, let me say it again. The value of what you give is often an indication of how much you value the one you are giving to. This is why on Christmas we give our spouses jewelry in our cousins' gift cards. There's a difference of 
value. If we have a true revelation of how valuable Jesus is, I will bring him something that's valuable. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm saying if you see him for who he is, you will say, God, here are my resources. Here is my time. Here are my giftings. Here are my passions. Here is everything that I have. I'm not just going to give you Ishmael. I'm going to give you Isaac. If Abraham brought Ishmael, he would be saying, God, you're worthy of Ishmael. But how many of you know God is not worthy of our leftovers? God is worthy of our very best. If you believe Jesus is worthy, can we tell him right now, you're not worthy of Ishmael. You're worthy of Isaac. You're worthy of what I value the most. The radically generous have ears that hear. And then the story continues. God speaks to Abraham and he says, I want you to give up Isaac. Abraham, Abraham hears the word, and the next couple of words are so powerful. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 3, look at the words. The Bible says, Abraham got up early. Now, I'm a morning person, but I think on sacrifice day, I would have slept in. I would have snoozed my alarm several times because I don't know where my fellow procrastinators are at, but procrastinating on things that I know I need to do is just my absolute favorite thing. To do, I would have slept in, but the Bible says Abraham got up early. I think Abraham understood a principle that if God starts speaking, we better start moving. The radically generous don't just have ears that hear, they have feet that move. I have learned that the longer I wait, the greater my chances of disobedience become. The more space I leave between the word and the walk, the less chance I have of my feet actually moving. The enemy loves to live in the space between a word and a walk. The enemy, and I think a lot of believers are frozen in between what God said and what we're actually doing. But, but the radically generous don't just have ears that hear, they have feet that actually move. I believe cities are not transformed by people who care. They're transformed by people who wake up early and move. I was, uh, I was a youth pastor in South Mississippi, and I used to write my messages in Starbucks every Wednesday. And... Uh, I was, I was known by the baristas at this Starbucks because every time I went to this Starbucks, I would write my message. And when I write my messages, I deeply feel my messages. And, and so I was known as like the crying guy to these baristas because I would write my message in Starbucks and I would just be, have tears in my eyes. And they're like, who is this dude that furiously types on his laptop and cries every single Wednesday while he drinks his latte? And so it was a regular Wednesday for me, and it was around Christmas time, and I was ordering my drink in case you want to know what it is around Christmas time. It's the peppermint white mocha extra whip, extra sprinkles, and espresso. Don't judge me. I know you black coffee people are like, oh, that's not real coffee. You know what? It's delicious, okay? <laughs> I'm ordering this, this drink, and I'm watching this line of people buy their $74 lattes one by one, and I see this box over in the corner. And there's a sign that indicates that this box is a toy drive that is going to kids who are less fortunate, who will not get toys for Christmas unless people give. And I walk over to this box and I look and see that it's empty. And I don't know what it was, but there was something about seeing humanity consume and not contribute that broke my heart. 
And tears began to fill my eyes, and I saw the barista looking at me, and they were like, he was like, here he goes. He's about to, he's about to do it. He's about to do the thing. And uh, tears start to fill my eyes, and I'm broken over the fact that the box is empty, and I start having a pity party. God, the box is empty. It's an empty box. God, what are we going to do with society? How did we get here? God, the box is empty. What are we going to do? And he said, yeah, what are you going to do? I said, touche. So I got out of Starbucks. I got in my truck. I drove over to Walmart. Starbucks called. They're like, I think they're, they're, he's headed your way. You just need to get security ready. The crying guy is coming. And I walk into Walmart, and I must have looked crazy because I walked to the toy aisle pushing a cart. I'm throwing stuffed animals in the cart while I'm crying. I'm blessing the stuffed animals like Paul blessed the handkerchiefs and sent them. Come on, God's going to heal people through this. I go back to the Starbucks and I fill the box and God spoke to me as I remembered this story and he said, son, I loved your tears but I loved your action even more. Here's the reality. I cared deeply that the box was empty but my caring means nothing until I actually do something about it. The world is not moved by people who care. The world is moved by people who care and then step out and do something about it. The world is not changed. Cities are not transformed by people who are moved emotionally, but by people who move their feet, wake up early and say, I'm gonna solve every problem I see. This is what the people of God have always been designed to do is solve the problems around you. Can I mess with your theology? God doesn't fill the box. He uses people to do that. God doesn't fix all of the problems in society. He uses people to do it. That's why for every Goliath, there's a David. For every Nebuchadnezzar, there's a Daniel. For every dry bone, there's an Ezekiel. For every sea that needs to be split, there's a Moses. Radical generosity is coming from the realization, I'm actually here to solve the problem. For every empty box, there's a you. There's a me. There's an us, and I think we have too many believers walking around thinking, I'm the problem, I'm the problem, I'm the problem. No, 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 you're the solution. You're not the issue, you're the answer. You are called not just to see the empty box, but to fill the empty box. Abraham had ears that could hear. He had feet that moved. And here's number three, they, he had hands that released. The radically generous have hands that release. The radically generous live with open hands. Anytime my boys are arguing, being selfish, fighting over a toy, I ask them, boys, how do we live? And my five-year-old will sigh and he'll go, open hands. <laughs> so church 1132, how do we live? Open hands. There, there had to be a moment. Look at the story. Abraham heard the word. He began to walk up the mountain. By the way, we talk about how the walk up the mountain is awkward. Imagine how awkward the walk down was. I just imagine silence for like half the walk. And then Abraham's like, buddy, the whole part where I tried to kill you. Listen, I just want to know. Like, I was just trying to hear God. And please don't tell your mother. And it would have been awkward. But anyway, Abraham's, I digress. Abraham is up up the mountain and, and he's walking and he's doing all the right things. And, but then there had to be a moment where he actually puts Isaac on the altar. There had to be a moment where he actually releases Isaac. And I can't imagine what Abraham was feeling in this moment as a father. I trust you, God, but this is painful. 
I believe that you want what's best for me, but I don't see how this is what is best for me. I, I believe, but help my unbelief. And anybody who has stepped into radical generosity can identify with those emotions. Abraham puts Isaac on the altar. He binds him to the altar. And in an act of faith, he lifts up the knife, getting ready to sacrifice his son. And then God stops him. And this is what the Bible says, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you, did not with, because you have not withheld your son from me. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he, oh, he went over and took, it in the ram, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And look at verse 14, but I want you to look at verse 14 in the King James Version. Genesis twenty two fourteen. the Bible says, And Abraham called the name of the Lord, or the name of the place, Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Now, we know the name Jireh. We sing songs about the name Jehovah-Jireh, my provider. We know Jireh. We love Jireh. But here's what this scripture is teaching us. This is the only time, the first and only time, the name Jehovah-Jireh is used in scripture. And the Bible is teaching us that until you step into generosity, you don't have access to Jireh. When I show up with generosity, God shows up with provision. Not the other way around. I show up with Isaac and he releases the provision. Until I step into generosity, I don't have access to Jireh. And I think many times believers are shaking their fist at God saying, where's Jireh? And he's looking back at us saying, where's Isaac? Because it's not until I lay down Isaac that I get access to Jehovah Jireh. When I step into generosity, he releases his provision. Abraham had hands that were willing to release and let go. Now this is where the message gets really fun. Someone said, thank God, because I have not been having fun so far. <laughs> This is where generosity gets really addicting and really fun because here's a principle. As long as Isaac is in Abraham's hands, that is all Isaac will ever be. Your resources in your hands are limited. Your time in your hands are limited. Your gifting in your hands is limited. But watch this. Abraham releases Isaac and then God says, now I'm going to take what you gave me and turn it into a nation. This is going to help some people because I think a lot of people look at, at generosity as a Hail Mary. Like you step back to pass and you throw it and you're like, I hope this ends up doing something good. I'm sowing generously. Hope I reap generously. I hope this is the right thing. I hope this changes something. But the reality is, the moment you release it from your hands, it gets into God's hands. So generosity is not a Hail Mary. Generosity is a handoff. And God says, because you gave me Isaac, I'm now going to take Isaac and turn him into a nation. God multiplies everything he touches. Help me at the end of this message. God multiplies everything that he touches. Think about it, in the New Testament, there's a little boy who's holding five loaves and two fish and 15,000 people need to be fed. Great need, little resource, until he has a hand to release and put it in the hands of the multiplier. 
Jesus multiplies it and everybody gets fed. Why? Because he everything he touches multiplies. In David's hands, it's just a stone. But when he releases it, it becomes a weapon. In Moses' hands, it's just a staff. But when he releases it, it's a supernatural sign of the miracle-working power of God. When we have hands that release our resources and our time and our talents, God takes it, he breaks it, he multiplies it, and he uses it in a powerful way. I think about a story, a man by the name of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott's a hero of mine. He was an American missionary in the 1950s, and one day Jim Elliott starts to feel on his heart something radically generous. And he desires to go and reach these people in Ecuador called the Hurani people. They were, they were called savages. Everybody were, knew these people as savages. No one had ever preached the gospel there. And Jim begins to tell his family I'm going to go preach to these people. And they say, Jim, just stay in America. Just be a pastor here. Just give Ishmael, not Isaac. But Jim is overwhelmed with generosity. And one day him and four other missionaries go to Ecuador and begin to preach the gospel to people who desperately need the gospel. And some people received it first. Some people accepted Christ. But after a while, there were 10 Hurani warriors who said, enough is enough. We don't like this message. We don't like what you're doing here. And on January 8th of 1956, at age 28, 10 Hurani warriors brought spears to their camp, and Jim Elliott gave his life for the sake of the gospel. And as I think about Jim Elliott giving his life for the gospel, I can't help but think of the quote that was written in his journal. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He was saying, when you live with open hands, your life will have lasting impact. The death of these five missionaries caused missions giving to explode. It caused missionaries to be risen up all over the place. Why? Because in Jim Elliott's hand, Jim Elliott's life is just that. But when he releases it, God multiplies it and uses it. If God was able to take Isaac and turn it into a nation, if God was able to take five loaves and feed 15,000, if he took a stone and made it a weapon, a staff and made it a sign, if he took Jim Elliot and made him into a missions movement, what could happen if the people of God at Church 1132 rose up and said, my life is not mine, this is not mine, open hands, I'm gonna release it. I think we'd see cities transform if we would open up our hands. Stand to your feet all over this place. Stand to your feet. What would happen if we lived with open hands? What would happen if God rose up a people that were radically generous? I wasn't in Starbucks, but I was in tears as I was writing this, so I wanted to write, I wanted to read it just like I wrote it. What's going to happen when we become radically generous? We're going to finish a dream center.
And when we do, there's going to be less empty stomachs, less fatherless homes, and less people on the streets. I see a church in South Dallas filled with thousands of people that are hearing about a God who loves them and has a plan for them. I can see addicts laying needles at the altar and families being restored. I can see people who are far from God meeting Jesus and feeling whole for the first time in their life. I see suicide statistics dropping. I see quality education increasing and a kingdom advancing. And this is not just for Oak Cliff. Every city God calls us to, we are going to move the unmovable, break the unbreakable, change the unchangeable, love the unlovable. God says, put in my hands and watch me multiply everything you put in my hands. Woo! Touch your neighbor say, he needs to calm down. He's got one more service to preach. God will change the world when he gets your heart. Because when he gets your heart, it's an indication I'm stepping into radical generosity. So I want to challenge you to do three things. What does radical generosity look like? This is practical. I've got, I've got three minutes and 24 seconds. Every day I want to encourage you to do three things. Number one, ask God the question. How can I be generous with my time, my talent, and my resources? Number two, listen for his voice. Number three, respond in obedience by faith. Now, I love the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. But the beauty of this story is not limited to Abraham's radical generosity. It's a symbol of God's radical generosity. Because the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac is a picture of Jesus taking our place. Abraham's about to sacrifice Isaac, and God says, I've got a ram that's going to take the place of Isaac. And you and I, because we walked away from God, because we sinned, there's a penalty for our sin. Someone has to pay for the penalty of sin. And instead of God taking out his wrath on us, Jesus said, I will accept the penalty of your sin, of Isaac's sin, of my sin on myself. Think about this. Who decided what the price of salvation was? It was him. God could have decided that the price of my redemption and your redemption was that he snapped his fingers or that he waved his hand or that he preached a message. But he decided that the payment for our sin was his blood and his life. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus generously came from heaven to earth. The cross was generous. The crown of thorns was generous. The nails in his hands was generous. The nail in his feet was generous. The spear in his side was generous. The stripes on his back was generous. Him lying on a cross naked, being erected was generous. This, this is a generous God, is anybody thankful for a king that didn't snap his fingers or wave his hands or just pronounce salvation over us, but said, I'm going to generously lay down my life so that you can be saved. 